Well, good morning. Uh, thanks for joining us. If this is your first time or one of your first times, we appreciate you being here. I know sometimes it's hard to step into a new place. If you're joining us online, thank you for doing that also. So I need a show of hands. How many have seen the movie The Princess Bride? Can I see those? Okay. So I need you to help me on this quote. My name is Inigo Montoya. What did you do? You killed my father. Prepare to what? Prepare to die. Now, he said that to Count Rugen. In the first service, I did not have my facts down, and I said, Prince Humperdinck, thankfully, John Croce, the leader of our safety team, came to my rescue, because we didn't want that going on out over the internet. He says that to Count Rugen. That's a pretty brash claim. I'm going to take your life. I don't know what Count Rugen was thinking. Does, can, can an ego Montoya follow through on this or not? If so, you, you better take that brash claim to heart. In fact, Count Rugen ended up dying, right? Do I have my facts right? Okay, whew. Well, Jesus makes a brash claim. But if you'll take it seriously, it's not about dying, it's about living. I want to talk about that brash claim this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you open it to John 5, starting in verse 18, we're going to go through 40, verse 47, wrestling with this question, what is Jesus' brash claim? What is Jesus' brash claim? If you haven't been with us, we've been in the Gospel of John for about three months now. We understand that John um, traveled with Jesus for three years during Jesus' public ministry. And he saw all kind of stuff that convinced him that Jesus was the eternal Son of God. And he's writing to convince us. So we'll talk about his purpose at the end of the book. But, But he's writing to convince us and to bring us to a point of belief. Uh, we've compared John to being a, a prosecuting attorney, and he's writing to convict Jesus of being of the, the Son of God. Uh, last week, we saw Jesus heal a, a man who'd been a paralytic for 38 years, but he did it on the Sabbath, and that got the religious leadership in Jerusalem all out of sorts. Uh, notice Jesus didn't violate the biblical concept of the Sabbath, but he violated some of the prohibitions. There were 39 he'd written in, and Jesus didn't care anything about their prohibitions. And and when they asked him, Jesus said, look, I'm I'm at work like my father's at work. God, God, the father's at work sustaining life on the Sabbath, so am I. And he compared himself to God, and that's where we're going to pick up. In John 5, verse 18, it says this, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he had not not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So there's Jesus' brash claim. He's claiming to be God. And rather than diffuse that or or, or to try and correct it, what Jesus is going to do in in the verses that come is he's going to underscore that claim. Yeah, that's true. So there's where we are in verse 19. It says, therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the the son also 
does. Uh, Jesus, in his earthly life, was in an apprentice relationship with his father, Joseph, a carpenter. And and many of the the Jewish boys and young men did that. And Jesus, in a way, is saying, I'm in an apprentice relationship with my father. I I do what I see him doing. This this brash claim, it's not about me. It's about reflecting the father to you. Well, you know, somebody, when somebody's good and somebody's great and they make a claim, usually it's about thumping my chest. And, and, but Jesus isn't about doing his thing. He's in submission to the Father. Why? Verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all the things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. Jesus is following the Father because he loves him. But he says he's going to do greater works than these. Well, well what are these? Well, there's three. Um, John gives us seven signs that show that Jesus is the, the Son of God. And we've seen three so far in our, our study of John. We saw Jesus turn water into wine. We saw Jesus heal a noble man's son. And last week we saw Jesus heal a guy who had been a paralytic for 38 years. And so Jesus said, you're going to, you're going to see a, a greater sign that's going to cause you to marvel and come to the conclusion that I am the Son of God. Well, well, what is that sign? Well, verse 21, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. We're going to see Jesus give life to a person certified dead. Uh, We'll see that in John 11. Uh, uh, A friend of Lazarus will have died, and he will have been dead four days, and they will have wrapped him in grave clothes and and pushed in it put a stone over the tomb, and and Jesus will go to call him back, and the sisters will, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And Jesus said, didn't I not tell you if you believe you would see the kingdom of God? And and he will call Lazarus, just say, Lazarus, come, and and, and Lazarus will come back. Heard a commentator say it's a good thing he specified Lazarus, because how many people would have come out of the tomb? I mean, Jesus will show he has the power to bring people back to life. You know, my time as a pastor, years as a pastor, I don't know, I was thinking about it, I've done... 60, 70 funerals. And so when I get with the couple, the parent, the child, whoever, who's lost the loved one, I, I try and bring God's comfort, you know, that especially if they're a believer, this is not the end. We, we grieve, but we're not hopeless. We don't despair. But here's one thing I never do with a loved one. So, you know, hey, if, if, really, if I'm really on my game today, maybe I, could, maybe I could bring your loved one back. I don't have that power. I don't have that power. And no human does. But Jesus said, I do. I have that power to bring someone certified dead back to life. In fact, Jesus himself was certified dead and came back to life. But that's not all that, that Jesus does that would point to the supernatural. Verse 22 and 23 he says, For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. So that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. Who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus said, I'm going to judge every person at the end of time. People say, you can't, uh, you can't judge me, only God can judge me. Okay. Jesus said, I'm God. I can and will judge you. So Jesus is making a brash claim to be God. He said, I, I, I have life in me. I can give life. I can take life. And at the end, I will judge people. Now, lest we think that's the purpose of Jesus coming to earth, it is not. 
Jesus didn't come to judgment. Judgment was already happening. He came to give life. That's verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Yeah, Jesus will judge, but he's coming hoping that he doesn't have to judge you and judge me. Why? Because he said, I came according to God's plan and lived a sinless life. And among his, we'll see later in John 8, among his enemies, he said, which one of you finds any sin among me? And the answer was silence. He lived his life and trusted God right up to the point he was crucified in a mockery of a trial. He rose again that if we believe in him, we might have life. As it stands, we're all under judgment. There's a little backstory of my medical history. Both grandfathers died of stroke. At age 70, my dad had a debilitating stroke, blood pressure related. By age 50, my five-foot, 88-pound mom was on medication for blood pressure. So, I've thought I've got this tendency, and I've been fighting for years and years. I've been eating well. I exercise regularly. Some on the pickleball court would say I'm everywhere, an impenetrable wall. But on this appointment, the doctor said, Andy, the numbers are getting away. And even adding in white coat tension, we need to begin to treat. You know, it would have been foolish for me to get mad at the doctor and say, how dare you? How dare you? He was just calling out what was already there. And on top of that, he's got a, got a solution. Do you understand that's what Jesus is doing in the Word of God? He said, you, you got, like I have that tendency towards blood pressure and who knows where it goes. You've got a tendency. I've got a tendency towards rebellion against God. It's there. Mine, it's higher risk. Yours and mine is 100%. It will kill us spiritually. It will kill us. It cuts us off from God. Jesus said, I come, I got a solution. If you believe in me. Remember, Jesus, and only Jesus can give life. He can restore life. What's the first word a child learns, most child learn? No, don't tell me what to do. That's how we are towards God. That's sin. Rebellion. Jesus says, I can... I will pay the consequence. I will restore your heart if you will but follow me. He goes on. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus has life in himself. He can restore life. Here's the second thing Jesus does besides giving life. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of God. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who hear in the tombs will hear his voice and, he will, and will come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. You hear what Jesus is saying? He said, I give life. And I'm going to judge everyone at the end of time. I'm going to be there. I'm eternal. It's an awfully brash claim to make. 
So we ask this question, what is Jesus' brash claim? Here it is. Jesus claimed to have the power to do God things. Jesus claimed to have the power to do God things. To give life and ultimately judge every one of us at the end of time. Now please notice, Jesus isn't backing off this claim. We'll see in just a minute, he's going to support this claim. But again, he talks about his motivation. I can do nothing on my own initiative as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will but the will of him who sent me. I'm making this claim not for me, not so you'll look at me, but you'll look at the Father. So when I was a little boy and a sports fan, the the, uh, American Football League was this upstart league. And they were playing in a long, they decided they would have a Super Bowl. They would play the National Football League against the American Football League. And this was in the late 60s. And the first two Super Bowls were the Green Bay Packers. One year they played the Raiders, and the next year they played the Chiefs, and they crushed them. And the NFL was superior, don't you know? Well, it was Super Bowl three. It was the Baltimore Colts, and it was the New York Jets, led by a quarterback named Joe Namath. And Namath was brash. He said, we're going to win, and we're going to win big. He said, Earl Morrill, the quarterback of the Colts, he'd be third string on the Jets. He said, there may be five or six quarterbacks in the AFL that are better than him. And who are you, man? You guys got crushed? Little twerp. You're going to get pasted. Well, that's not what happened in Super Bowl three. The Jets won. Namath was brash, no doubt, but it was all about Namath. Look at me. Jesus is brash, no doubt, but it ain't about Jesus. It's about the Father, and it's about you, and it's about me the opportunity to reverse the spiritually genetic condition that's going to kill us. So Jesus, starting in verse 31, he's going to give us a bunch of people that support what he's saying. Verse 31, he says, if I alone testify by myself, my testimony is not true. This is Jewish law. In a court of law, you, you make an accusation. One witness isn't going to get it done. You need two or three. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a bunch that back the claim that I'm the son of God. Verse 32, there's another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. So they're going to look at some of these other witnesses. Starting in verse 33 to 35, we're going to get witness number one, John the Baptist. He says, you have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He, John, was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Man, John the Baptist was the forerunner. Israel hadn't had a prophetic word from God in 400 years, and man, he drew the crowds. A couple things John the Baptist said about Jesus. He said, John the Baptist said, hey, I was born before Jesus, but he existed before I did. Well, how can that be? He was eternally existent. He always existed. When, when Jesus came along, John the Baptist said, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. there is the, the, it's the Lamb of God sent to take away the sin of the world. John the Baptist testified that Jesus is the Son of God. That's witness number one. Here's witness number two, verse 36. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. 
What is that? For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus said, John the Baptist said, my works? Look, a couple of vats of stone containers of water, and bang, I say wine, and they become wine. Guy, 38 years, he'd been a paralytic. He was trying to get in the water. The legend was it stirred if you get in there first. And he said, man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cripple. I can't get in there. And Jesus said, I got another plan. Pick up your pallet and walk. And that's what he did. Jesus said, I got thing after that. And that's why John wrote. He said, my works scream out that I'm the son of God. Third, verse 37 and 38, the witness of the father. And the father who sent me, he, he has testified of me. You've neither heard his voice at any time nor see his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him who he sent. John the Baptist, my works, the words of the Father. Uh, Verses 39 and 40, the fourth one, the witness of Scripture. It says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is those that testify about me. You are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. These are the Scriptures. Fourth witness, they talk about me. We encourage people to read your Bible every day. But Bible reading and Bible knowledge is not an end in itself. If it doesn't bring us to a submission of Jesus, we've missed the point. One of the saddest things is to me is to meet biblically knowledgeable people who are proud of how much they know. Man, if anything, biblical knowledge ought to humble us. <laughs> Man, I really need, I really need a Savior, yeah. Yeah, and Jesus said, these scriptures, they talk about me. They talk about need for a Savior. We'll get to the fifth witness in just a minute, but Jesus is going to talk about what is it with all these witnesses? Why are these people missing the boat? Here's what he says in verse 41. I did not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. Jesus said, this this is a hard issue. This is why you're missing me. You don't love God. You've created a religious system and you follow it and you've got these rules and you've got control and, and you love that more than you love God. Uh, Jesus goes on to say to these people, verse 43, he said, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. What's Jesus' point? You guys follow self-proclaimed messiahs at will. This guy comes and you follow him for a while. This guy comes and, and they all die. They die off. One after another after another, that was Jewish history. But the true Messiah comes, you reject him. Why? Verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Jesus said, look, 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 look. These these self-proclaimed Messiahs come along and they tell the people what they want to hear. Right? You're only going to follow me if I tell you what you want to hear. So I tell you what you want to hear, and woo, Andy, woo, then I die, and I'm a false Messiah. Jesus says, I don't do that, because I'm not so concerned about your approval. Remember, I'm coming from the Father. I got his approval. I'm going to tell you the truth. You know why you follow all those other Messiahs, but not me? Because I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you what you need to hear, but not necessarily what you want to hear. So Jesus said, man, I got, I'm telling you, I'm the son of God. I've got John the Baptist. I've got my works. I've got God the Father, and I've got the scriptures that would back my claim. I've got one more for you, Jesus says, verses 45 to 47. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accused you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he, Moses, wrote about me. That's a pretty 
brash claim that Moses wrote about Jesus. But if you not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You said you want a fifth witness? I'll give you one, Moses. You wrote about me. And see, these people would say, we're, 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 we're disciples of Moses. Jesus said, really? If you were disciples of Moses, you'd believe in me. Because every writer of the New Testament pointed to Jesus. It's a brash claim. Son of God. He does God things. Well, like, like what? He, well, he gives life. Call people back from the dead. He's going to judge at the end. I, I'm, I'm not. People say, and you, you know, I'm not going to do this one. Well, really, you don't have to answer to me. You're not going to answer to me. <laughs> but you, you and I will answer to Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the one to whom you will answer. So John's writing to tell us about Jesus' brash claim. But it isn't so so we can know it. It's a good start to know it. But if we don't act on it, it doesn't do us any good. And that leads us to the purpose. Here's why John wrote, John 20, verse 30 and 31. There are many other signs. So Jesus, uh, John said, hey, I, I'm going to give you seven, but there's a bunch, but I, I don't have room. I don't have the space on my hard drive, I guess, to, to write them all. I don't know. But I'm going to give you seven. But I, I, I give you these signs, and they were performed in the presence of the disciples. So it was public, which are not written in this book. Why? Why did I do this? But these have been written so that you may believe. So it's not just enough to know, to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John is trying to bring you and me to a point of decision, to believe in his name. So Aaron Jones was in first service. He's also on the safety team. The safety team was just killing it today. He sent me a text. He said, my, my name is Yahweh. You killed my son. Prepare to live. I love that turn of words. If you will believe in his name. Believe what? That, well, that Jesus came according to the design, and took on human flesh according to the design of God, lived 30 years in relative obscurity as a carpenter, and then went in public ministry, and for three years proclaimed what we're seeing here. The crowd turned on him according to the plan of God. In a mockery of trial, he was crucified, and he was buried, and he rose again three days later. You talk about the power to overcome death. On Friday, they stuck a spear in his side, and the water came out, the split, and the blood and water, and it certified he's dead. They wrapped him up. They put him in the tomb. They pushed a big rock over it. They put a Roman guard in there, and they told the guard, you keep him in the tomb. And that worked from Friday till Sunday morning, and then out he came. If you've never trusted Christ, what a better time than Christmas season to do that. What? For the forgiveness of your sin, your rebellion against God. Jesus made this brash claim not to thump his chest, but to give glory to God and to give you and me the opportunity to reverse the genetic condition that's going to kill us. If you believe him, he'll forgive your sin, he'll restore your heart and allow you to live as God designed you to live under the direction of God. I know many of you in here, and, and many of us have made that decision a while back that we're going to trust Christ. And He gives life from now into eternity. 
But do we put them aside? Do we get so busy that we never consult them, we never think about them? And in, in one of the greatest ironies, at Christmas season, we get so busy doing this, that, and the other that we don't have time to think about Him. That's why we're suggesting devotional is not the only way, but it is a way. I'm going to stop and read. I'm going to think about what went on this year, this season. I'm going to slow. I'm going to look at the way Jesus lived. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to make time to read God's Word, to worship Him, to think about Him, to incorporate Him into my workday, into my relationship with my spouse, into my relationship with my kids. I'm going to evaluate what I do by His Word. Look, I told you in September, I uh, went on medication, and it, it's worked. But the systolic, the number's gone from 145 to 120 or 125. That's great. That's great. Great, great, great. Wouldn't I be foolish, though, having those pills in my cabin if I stopped taking them. That'd be a dumb idea. <laughs> There's the key, and I just ignore it. But when it comes to life, do we do that very thing? We're going to get life, we're going to rush, we're going to buy, we're going to get this, and, and we ignore that which has given us life. His name is Jesus. Some of you have heard, man, you've been in church longer, and you've heard this, and you know, I mean, you could preach this. Great. But are we applying Jesus? Are we taking him in every day that we might have life that starts now and goes into eternity? Steve Jobs was a co-founder of Apple. And in 1985, he got pushed out. It was a power squabble, and long story short, he, he got pushed out. And for the next 12 years, Apple descended. And in 1997, they brought Steve Jobs back to turn the company around, which he did up until the point he died a number of years ago. But I thought it was interesting at his, uh, uh, his introduction. He met with the uh, Apple engineers, the Apple techs, the Apple geeks. And this is what he said to him, short quote. Remember, these are the, these are the really smart people who are developing the technology. He said, look, 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 look. you've got to start with the customer experience and work back to the technology. Not start with, let's sit down with the engineers and figure out what awesome technology we have and how we're going to market that. So you know what he said to the engineers? It ain't about you. You really smart people in running the company, we're not gonna start with you, okay? We're gonna go to these folks, our customers, we're gonna say, what do you want? And then we're gonna come to you and we're gonna say, this is what we need from you. If we're going to turn the company around, you're going to have to take a back seat, engineers and techs. Jesus said, I got life for you, okay? But, but it's, it, it's not about you. It's not about you being, I, I'm going to be me, I'm going to do me, I'm going to believe in, no, 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 it ain't about you. It's about me. <laughs> we'll start with me. And you fit how you figure in with me. And you can experience life. Make no mistake. Jesus made an incredibly brash claim to be the Son of God. He can give life and He's going to judge life. John said we need to know that and we need to act on that. Especially at Christmas, we'll be, be people who take hold of the life that Jesus offers.